There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio, bringing you the latest reports from the Whitetail Woods. And now, your host, Spencer Newharth. This is Wired to Hunt's Rut Fresh Radio, and I'm your host, Spencer Newharth. This week, we're talking about precipitation and whitetails. Welcome to Wired Hunts Rut Fresh Radio. I'm your host, Spencer Newharth, and joined by Mark Kenyon again this weekend. Mark, I know you were a mentor this last weekend on the Back 40s Field to Fork hunt that is done by NDA. Mark, tell us about that hunt. Did you have any deer on the ground, and what was the movement like? Yeah, it was uh, It was a heck of a good time. This, as, as some might remember, we... After the whole Back 40 show and that whole project, we donated the farm to the National Deer Association so that they could host new hunter events like this. So they could bring folks out in the summer and teach them about deer behavior and wildlife habitat and all that kind of stuff. And then during hunting season, have a place where these people can go out there and see deer and have the opportunity to get shot opportunities and learn how to gut a deer and track a deer and all that kind of stuff. So this is the first hunt that we've got to host on the farm as a part of that program. And like you said, I got to mentor and uh, it was, it was really, really cool. We had 10 new hunters and those hunters were each paired with a mentor. And then we split them up over a couple different properties. So some of the hunters were on the back 40. Some of the hunters were on some other private properties that we had access to um, from different volunteers and stuff like that. So we had three hunters uh, this weekend on the back 40 itself. I was with one of them and we had a lot of great action. Um, let me see here. Three deer. We got shots at three deer and one of those was a miss, but one of the hunter, the hunter I was mentoring actually killed two, killed one the first night and killed one the second morning. So he got his first and second deer in the same weekend. Uh, and he was just, absolutely ecstatic we had a really awesome opportunity and got to you know teach him how to gut a deer how to track a deer and then the second deer he got the next morning we brought back and had the other two hunters that were out there um showed them how to gut it and let them actually you know try it themselves too so on the back 40 we had 
couple different gutting demonstrations and a lot of great just back and forth teaching moments and across all the other farms. So I can't remember how many other properties, two or three other properties. There was a total of eight deer killed. So, so seven new hunters killed their first deer and one of those hunters killed two. So, um, it was, a awesome event and just a really cool opportunity to see that whole back 40 project come full circle. So I was, uh, I was a very happy mentor this past weekend getting to see, see such a cool thing happening. So that's that was, awesome. that's the high level story. We're going to eventually do a full podcast about it with, with a couple of those new hunters and we'll share all the nitty gritty details, but, uh, at a high level, it was great. The dude that uh, went back-to-back kills, he's going to be a mentor before long. He's going to take your job there. <laughs> I know. We were actually joking with him that after he uh, after he had so so much success this time around, next year he's got to pay it forward. So we're going we're gonna to rope him into it someday. So what about for the buck movement, though, that you saw? Uh, was there anything of note that happened during those hunts? Yeah, you know, a lot of hunters saw bucks and that was not a good thing in this case because this was actually an early antlerless only season. So we were all out there. You could only shoot does. Um, so I, on, on the back 40, there were a couple hunts where there were bucks in range that you couldn't shoot, including a nice one, like a really good buck came out for one of the new hunters out of the honey hole or heading into the honey hole. I think it was, I wasn't sitting there at that one and, uh, they couldn't take him. So there was some deer movement. It was late. A lot of the deer movement was, you know, last hour daylight because it's been pretty warm here in Michigan. Um, but, you know, I, I would call, you know, I know you didn't ask me yet, but if I had to rate deer activity on a scale of one to 10 recently here in Michigan, it's been like a, you know, like a four and a half to five. There's that good evening movement and a good little bit of movement there first thing in the morning, uh, but pretty warm temperatures, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, I did see one mature buck out scouting last week. I don't know. It would have been Thursday or Friday night. I saw a good buck, actually one of the bucks I'm after, uh, out feeding in a food plot. Just probably the last 20 minutes of daylight. So they're uh, they're around. Now, something that wouldn't have been a factor during your hunts there on the back 40 this last weekend, but will be a factor for basically the whitetail's entire range for probably like these next five days is that a lot of the country is going to be getting rain at some point between like now um, and the next time we record an episode of Rut Fresh Radio. In the past, Mark, I think in 2019, you wrote an article for the website about should you deer hunt in the rain? Um, And you talked about all the considerations that go into one of those hunts. Go over that with us right now about what hunters should be thinking about when it's raining and they want to get in the woods um, based on deer movement and then other considerations. Yeah. So yeah, I was just looking at our forecast in Michigan and, and our season's not open right now since that antlerless one's done, but we've got rain in the forecast for the next five days straight. So I'm sure some of those other states around me that are open are going to see some of that. And I tend to look at rain as generally a good thing for deer movement. Lots of times changes in precipitation also lead to changes in temperature, lead to changes in barometric pressure, all that kind of stuff. And in general, it seems like those changes just give you a little boost in movement one way or another. Um, so yeah, when it comes to rain, I'm not anti-rain. I'm not bummed out when I see rain in the forecast. Um, but I am thinking about a couple things differently. One thing is that if you have like a, a light drizzle or intermittent rain where it comes down hard for a while, but then opens up and clears up for an hour or two. 
those are situations I really like. I've seen a lot of good movement during those types of periods. Um, I know John Eberhardt is a guy that is writing some stuff for us for Wired to Hunt now, and he's someone who has preached the importance of hunting during the rain because there's those time periods, like I just discussed, where they can really get on their feet and move a lot. And a lot of hunters will just avoid the rain entirely and not be out there for those moments, those breaks, or those slow drizzly periods when you know deer want to stretch their legs, get up, and start feeding again, especially if it's been a longer rain event. Like if it's been a, a thunderstorm, downpour like crazy for hours and hours and hours on end or like all night or whatever it might be, as soon as that slows down or stops and they get that first break, man, those deer are really going to get after it. So I like that. Um, on the flip side, as I just alluded to, when you have like a storm storm, that'll usually put most deer down. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to be out there hunting in most rainy situations, either because it's slow enough that they could be moving right now or because I want to make sure I don't miss you know, that moment when it does stop and all the deer start moving. I don't want to be walking out right when it stops and spook those deer. I'd rather be sitting and ready. Um, the one other thing though, that you need to think about is how rain can impact, you know, recovering a deer. If you shoot a deer during the rain, can you blood trail it? Can you recover that deer? And that's, you know, that's a real consideration. Um, blood trails can get washed away with rain and you need to be really, really sure that you're going to be in a situation where that doesn't happen to you and you can't recover a deer. So, so my take on that is twofold. Number one, if I'm hunting in a situation where there's some light rain, um, you know, but I think I'll still be able to keep on a blood trail. My big thing is really, really limiting my shots. So I'm, I don't know. I I shoot, I would shoot out to 40 yards for a whitetail. That's myself, my line in the sand. That's my max range that I'm going to shoot a deer at on a good day. If it's a rainy day like or light drizzly day and I'm out there and I know there's this possibility that there's going to be some rain coming in, I'll shrink that range dramatically. So I might shrink that range down to 20 yards. So I'm only going to take that shot um, if it's the easiest of easy shots because I don't want to have even the slightest chance of a long, tough blood trail. So I'm only going to take those absolute gimmies on a rainy day so that I don't risk shooting a deer that I can't track. Uh, I want a deer that I know I'm going to double lung, no questions asked, and that deer is going to be dead in 50 yards or 80 yards or something, and hopefully I'll see see him keel over or something. Um, the second thing, though, is that even if you think that's the case, occasionally deer go further than you expect. Um, things don't go quite as planned. So what I have made sure to do is if tracking dogs are legal in your state, just make sure you know someone or know how to find the phone number for someone or have that in your back pocket so that worst case scenario, God forbid the shot doesn't go, you want to. And, and then again, somehow you can't track it with the blood. You've got a dog who can help you out. And those dogs can track really well in those rain situations. They can still smell just fine. Even if the blood trails washed away, you know, from what I understand, these dogs are really tracking the smell of a, of a specific footprint. Um, so in many cases, the rain, the moisture actually helps their noses. So, it's not possible in all states, but where it is, it's a huge tool. Um, if that's not legal in your state and it's an absolute downpour and you're worried about, you know, you won't be able to see blood and you don't have that backup plan, then in those cases, you know, probably don't hunt because if you can't recover the deer, you shouldn't be out there shooting at them. Um, 
So you just got to consider a bunch of those different circumstances. I've, in most cases, been able to make sure that I feel comfortable being out there and have backups and plans to make sure that doesn't happen. And it hasn't been a problem yet. But um, it's a very long winded way of saying, yes, you should probably hunt, but be careful. <laughs> That's right. And as as you were talking about, I was checking forecasts for around the country, and that is going to be something relevant for basically any whitetailer, um, like you said, in these next five days. It's not just Michigan. Much of the whitetails range is going to have some storms coming up here. The other hunters that we hear from this week are Alex Comstock in Minnesota, Gray Drummond in Florida, Keith Thompson in Montana, and then Tony Peterson in Wisconsin. And then as we have been doing, Mark, with our other intros, we're going to close it out with some reading materials. Uh, If you want even more about whitetail movement right now at the end of September, we have four articles I'd suggest you check out. One of them is from Bo Martonic. It is the best food sources for big woods whitetails. Basically, Bo breaks down three food items that can be found uh, anywhere in the country where there are whitetails living in timber. And then How to Kill a Buck in High Wind by Tony Peterson. Tony talks about what GPS collar studies tell us about buck movement in high wind and where specifically that movement is taking place. And then Why September is the Best Month to Hunt Scrapes from Tony Hansen. Most hunters don't turn their attention to scrapes until October but Tony talks about why he thinks these next couple of weeks could be the best time to hunt them. And then finally, should you deer hunt in rain? The article that you wrote in 2019, uh, which goes into greater detail about all of those talking points that you just had. Yeah. I really liked that September scrape one by Tony Hansen. I thought that was it. He's got a really interesting angle there that I don't know if I ever really thought about. That's I think everyone should go read that one. If you've got some September hunts coming up, I think you should think about Tony's idea there. So check that one out for sure. Yeah. And and when I got done, I was like, you know what? He is right. Um, like, I, I don't know that uh, September is the best month, but it does make a lot of sense to focus on scrapes right now. Or if, if you're just putting a setup up to haunt this weekend, like throw down a mock scrape and then monitor that mock scrape for the next couple of weeks. And it, it might even like be something that is a difference maker in, in one of those haunts or the haunt from that night. Um, scrapes are, are a great thing to focus on right now. Yeah, it was a unique perspective and, and interesting for sure. All right, Mark, I'm going to talk to you next week. Let's get to these interviews. Sounds good. All right. And joining us on the line first is Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA in Minnesota. Now, Alex in Minnesota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? Yeah, I'd say it's probably been about a seven, um, only hunted really opening day here, but, uh, me and my buddy were sitting together and we were able to put down all of our top target bucks opening night. So just based off that, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a seven. Tell me about that hunt, why you guys were in that area and why that buck was in that area. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good funneling spot with, uh, you know, there's some apple trees around and whatnot that are off, you know, pretty much where he gets to at night. And we pretty much knew where he was bedded, at least had a good hunch based on a lot of trail camera intel from last fall and this summer. And uh, he had been semi-regular, had been daylight on cell cam multiple times this past week. And uh, we thought we had a really good chance to hunt him opening night and actually hadn't even hung a stand yet. So we went in, hung a stand, and about two hours later, he, he walked by at 15 yards and we were able to kill him. Where are you running a lot of your trail cameras this time of year? I've got either my cameras in Minnesota just on either mock scrapes, you know, intersections of trails, or, you know, I'm trying to focus on food sources like, you know, oaks and acorns are starting to drop, apple trees if I've got them, stuff like that. 
And have you seen a lot of bucks hitting your mock scrape or, or real scrapes that you find in the woods right now? There, it seems like they're starting to a little more, at least, you know, not necessarily scraping the ground much, but the nice thing is for me, a lot of the areas that I hunt, I've hunted, you know, year after year, and I kind of know these established areas. So I can, I know where the licking branches are and, you know, they're, they're definitely hitting licking branches and I've got, you know, this buck in particular that we were able to put down is, has hit this scrape, you know, just with the licking branches, you know, multiple times, even since August. So. And you said that you found this buck's bed. Tell me about when you found that buck's bed and how you knew that he was using it. So we, we've pretty much had his bedding area pinned down for last fall. We had ran, ran a couple cameras in the area. Um, so it was one of those deals where we weren't, didn't have cell cams in the area last year. And so we checked them late in October and he had been all over it in daylight in September, October. I mean, all times of the day and that time of year, if I'm getting a buck, you know, in daylight that much during the, during the day, I know he's bedded very close. And so that kind of led us to hunt where we did this year. And how deep in the timber were you for this setup? We were not very far off. I mean, we're pretty much in town. And so we were, I don't know, I'd say hundred yards off a road. Was this buck or other bucks you've been seeing still hanging out in bachelor groups or have they broken up at this point? He, you know, we, I've got quite a few bachelor groups still hanging out together, at least on camera. Um, but this buck had been solo and, and it's funny cause he'd been solo all summer. So he was all by himself. And when we kind of caught a glimpse of his antlers coming through the woods, you know, he had pretty distinct rack and a flyer point coming off his G2. So we knew right away it was him and he was the only deer we actually saw, but we sh- Garrett, my buddy Garrett, who actually is the one who shot him, put an arrow through him, you know, was still about over an hour left of daylight. So who knows what would have, you know, moved through had we sat there till dark. If it didn't work out for you on the opening hunt, did you have some morning hunts planned to get this buck? And what do those look like in mid-September for you in Minnesota? You know, not for this buck, hunting in the morning wasn't really going to be in the car just based on the way he was, his travel patterns. But uh, we've got a couple other bucks that we're going to be hard after. And actually our top target buck, um, I think my best chance is going to be in the morning because uh, the week coming up here, um, I've got a really good idea on where he beds, but his pattern isn't very consistent on how he comes back to it. But I kind of have an idea of where his end point is, which is where his, his bedding area is. So I'm going to jump in. Um, actually, t- you know, well, I don't know if this goes live, but tomorrow morning and uh, go in after him and get try to be set up very close to his bedding area, you know, at least an hour before first shooting light. What food sources are relevant right now for whitetailers in that part of the country? The biggest things I'm focusing on is acorns and, and apple trees if I've got them. Um, but there's so much natural browse out there as well that it can be kind of hard to, to pin down exactly where they're feeding right now if you don't have, you know, any type of ag or food or food plots or anything like that. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Minnesota? I think where I'm up here in the Northern part of the state, it's going to be, going to be around that six to seven. At least I hope we've got um, opening day was great. And then the second day of season that Sunday and Monday, it's been real hot rain, thunderstorms. And then uh, it's supposed to cool off over 20 degrees starting the rest of the week here. And so I've got really high hopes of, of a, Uh, having some good buck activity this week. All right, Alex. Well, this episode is going to be coming out after your hunt for that target buck you were talking about. Um, So I hope it works out for you and you called your shot. Good luck with the rest of your season, Alex. Thanks for joining me. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Spencer. 
All right, and joining us on the line next is Gray Drummond from Florida Outdoor Experience in Florida. Now, Gray, in Florida, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? In our region, I would say it's been about a 5 right now. Um, we are in, um, we haven't even started our pre-rut. Um, we're still, we're dealing with upper 80s, 90 degree weather. Um, so yeah, it's been tough hunting. Now, Florida has a unique whitetail herd, and then you have different phases of the rut happening all over. Tell us about what those are right now in different parts of the state. Yeah, Florida is, to my knowledge, the only state that you can actually um, find a rut going on between um, any starting in July, which is South Florida, all the way into February, which would be up in the Panhandle. Um, my zone, I'm in Zone C, which is North Central Florida on the West Coast. Um, generally our rut kicks in first part of October, give or take a week. Um, it, uh, in our, our bow season in my particular zone, uh, just opened up this past Saturday. So we, we just got in the woods. We're not seeing a lot of sign yet, but I've got a feeling that it will turn on. I happened to, uh, get lucky enough and, um, took a, a nice nine point Saturday morning and this tarsal glands were pretty well, pretty much still blonde, to be honest with you. How do your setups right now in that area look different in the morning versus the evening for hunts? Boy, I tell you, in Florida, there's just right now with the humidity and whatnot, there's no concealing your scent. Um, so we're just playing the wind 100%, looking game trails. Um, we've had a record amounts of rain this year. A majority of the woods in our area are flooded out. Uh, I actually had to take a duck boat to get to my stand, um, which cre- uh, the, with the flooding, it creates little oak islands, high grounds, and we're concentrating on some of these higher grounds right now. Um, a few acres are starting to drop, but again, we're still about a month away from that really being a good food source. We just have so much browse right now. Um, your, your best luck is to find some game trails and target those. You mentioned that it's been in the 80s and 90s and very muggy lately. What does a cold front look like for you? What is a temp drop that gets you excited for deer movement in Florida? Um, well, in bow season, if we are lucky enough to get anywhere down in the low 60s, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, we, where I'm at, we do, this will make some of my northern friends laugh, but, but we, we do have somewhat of a winter. Um, it, it's not uncommon in December, January for temperatures to dip down into the lower thirties, upper twenties. However, it doesn't stay down there that long. So, you know, that, that gets me excited, but this time of year, anything in the sixties, um, really gets me excited. turns me on. I'm like, I'll, I'll be in the woods. I'll drop whatever I'm doing and get out there. What are some food sources that are relevant for deer movement right now in Florida? Um, Florida has, because of our, um, moderate temperatures um all over uh you know with it it allows for a lot of um farming to take place Uh, we have a a large grow year so there's a lot of agriculture that's around um a lot of our native browse we're just focusing on it's really unless you're going to put corn out right now which is which is legal in florida corn feeders um you know you're really going to just um I have to focus on these food, on these um, deer trails, and uh, it, it, there's just so much browse. It's hard to target uh, a food source unless you have something planted or, or or using corn. You said that you think pre-rut could kick off any minute now. Does that mean that you're starting to see some sign making? Yeah, I just started this last week, starting to see a couple of scrapes, but no, nothing like it will be next month. Um, 
you know, it, uh, it generally seems to take place within the first part of October, middle of October, like I said, give or take a week. Um, the deer that I took Saturday just laid back, um, not ruddy at all, just happened to be, you know, at the wrong place at the right time for me. Where are you running your trail cameras right now? Right now I'm running them on, uh, any trails I can find on high ground. Um, we are, like I said, we've had records amount, record amount of rain here and it is being, um, so close to the coast, um, water table being uh, so high right now, but, um, we're, where woods are pretty much flooded out. So any place you can find some high ground, you're going to, you're going to have some activity going forward then in this next week or so. What do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Florida? Once our rut kicks in and this particular, now again, I'm not, I can't speak for all of Florida, but in our particular part of Florida, once our rut kicks in, I will say it's, um, eight to nine, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll just turn on like a light. All right, Greg, congrats on that great buck that you killed. Good luck with the rest of your season. And thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your season too. Good luck. Joining us on the line next is Keith Thompson from Montana Whitetails in Montana. Now, Keith, in Montana, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I'd give it a modest 5. Um, it's been the first two weeks of the season have been pretty rough for us here. Uh, major temperature swings. It was pretty darn hot here. So I would have to say that was probably the reason. Um, this week it's cooled down, and there's definitely been a lot more activity. We killed a really good buck this morning. So it's things are looking up. People are seeing a lot more deer. So it's, I'd say, a you know, like I said, a, a, a modest five. With that hunter that you guided this morning to that successful hunt, what did that setup look like? Uh, we, we tucked them in pretty early into a, into a bedding area, uh, kind of targeting those deer coming out of the alfalfa fields in the morning, trying to catch them slipping back into their beds. Now, your region in Montana, most of the state, has been in a drought this summer and early fall. So has water factored into any of your hunts so far? We've we've been setting up on water for certain instances, especially the last two weeks with it being so warm. Um, it still hasn't been all that productive. The, I mean, we're, we had some hunters that were seeing does and young bucks, but it just seemed like those bigger bucks were not moving very well until night cover anyways. What food sources are relevant for you right now? Uh, we're hunting mainly alfalfa fields. Uh, we're to and from. I mean, coming from in the morning and going to in the evening is is our main food source. The browse has been dead since it's been so dry. So that's kind of helped us for the evening. The temperatures have been rough, but this week has been a drastic change. Like I said, we have people seeing twice as many deer this week as they have the first two weeks. So it's looking up. And are bucks still traveling in bachelor groups, or have they all broken out by this point? Um, I've seen all bachelor groups. I actually, like I said, I have a guy in a hay bale blind right now. Last night, I watched that field, and six bucks came out together right at, you know, 7.15, 7.30. So I'd definitely say they're still bachelored up. And they three of the six were, were pretty darn good bucks, so that was good to see. You mentioned that your hunter this morning was hunting close to a bedding area. So how deep in the timber is that off of those field edges to find those bedding areas right now? Uh, for us being in the river bottom, it's kind of, you know, it could be a continuous stretch of five to 600 yards. The Where he was, I had him probably 150 to 200 yards off of the alfalfa field that we had seen the buck in before. So 
roughly 150, 200 yards back in. And are you seeing any sign making in those areas? Uh, yeah, there's, we, we started seeing a few rubs. I don't know if they were just, you know, velvet rubs or anything like that, but we, we started to see a little bit more sign popping up anyways. Where are you guys running your trail cameras this time of year? Uh, to be honest with you, we don't, we don't run that many simply for the fact that I can do a lot of scouting from the vehicle. Um, we're, we're kind of fortunate with that. We can kind of park up high and we can watch two or three of our alpha field to kind of give us an idea of what's coming out where and we'll we kind of base it off of that to be honest and how does that mobile scouting change for you in october and november versus september oh uh, it'll definitely change you know, like i said the, the bucks will start to separate and it's you know bucks that we were frequenting in one alfalfa field if that field dries up or they eat it out by october they'll be hit another alfalfa field so it's it's kind of nice, like I said, to keep bouncing around, to be able to visually see the deer, to make our move as far as what we're doing and how we're doing it. Like today, me and another guide here, we went and set up a ground blind, a hay bale blind that I have the hunter in right now that, you know, we hadn't hunted that at all yet this year. And we took notice the last two nights we had, you know, six bucks coming out together. And it's one of those deals where that most recent information, being able to visually see those deer really helps a lot to be able to stay mobile and move to where the deer are going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in montana i hope it increases i mean the temperatures are you know hopefully they'll start dropping and staying lower i I know that the highs is what kills us i mean it's been cool in the morning and it's it's been cooling down at night but it's if we get these days where it reaches 80 degrees it just doesn't drop enough for the evening hunt but I, I, I'd give it a, hopefully a six, maybe we'll, we'll hopefully go from there. All right, Keith, good luck to you and your clients in camp. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. All right. And joining us on the line last is Tony Peterson, whose content you can find all over Wired Hunt, who is hunting in Wisconsin. Now, Tony in Wisconsin, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? Uh, the buck activity, I would say if, if I'm being totally honest, was a zero for us, but I, I don't, I think that was situational. I don't think it was quite that bad. Now, when I talked to you last week, Tony, you had talked about how uh, ground blinds were going to be a big part of your weekend and you'd be hunting staging areas and field edges and water wouldn't be a focus. How much of that came true once you had boots on the ground in Wisconsin over the weekend? Man, I would say all of it. We, we didn't, you know, water really wasn't a factor. We, uh, we kind of, you know, pinned our hopes on staging areas, catching deer, coming back, coming back in the mornings from food sources and heading out in the evenings. And it Saturday was a real bust for us, but Sunday worked out and it actually played out the way we thought it might. And your nine-year-old twin daughter killed a doe. Tell us about that setup, why you guys were in that spot and why that doe was in that spot. Yeah, she did. It was the first year. It was really, really cool. We we were there. I I was panicked a little bit the week before the season opened because I didn't think we had a good morning set up. And so I I went over there to Wisconsin and this spot, it's a, it's a private place, but there's just sort of an area they filter through coming back from the neighbor's bean field. There's some tree rows there and there's a swamp on one side that kind of uh, kind of keeps them in line. And so I put a, uh, a ground blind in that, that tree row thinking we might catch them coming back in the morning from that destination food source. And that's exactly how it played out. We had one doe come in, you know, it's dead calm. And she got a little bit wiggy. She, she gave my daughter a, 
I don't know, like a 20, 22 yard shot. And it, it just worked out and it was really cool, man. Both times I've talked to you, Tony, you've, you've touched on uh, how much water the state has this year. Is there enough water to be dictating deer movement? And is it forcing them out of certain areas or to take different paths? Or has that not been uh, that much of an issue for patterns at least? Um, you know, I wouldn't say there's enough water over there to really force them anywhere to, you know, that they, they, they want to stay dry. So they'll circle around it, but it's, you know, it's just a difference between diving through a really nasty swamp that's thick and full of alders and everything or staying out in the open. And so that's more of, uh, you know, when you're in a really predator dense place, like we were, they seem to, in those low light situations, kind of find these places where they can travel somewhat in the open, but still have some cover to protect them, if that makes any sense. And so that's, that's what I'm kind of talking about with the swamp situation there. What food source is relevant right now in Wisconsin? Man, you know, our deer were, they were mostly coming off of beans, but I think some of them were keying on a uh, distant alfalfa field as well, but that had been just very recently cut. And so I think, you know, you, you really can't go wrong with September and soybeans. Where are you running a lot of your trail cameras right now? Man, I'm running them in anything I think that's going to be a staging area as the deer travels to and from bedding and food and food and bed. Are you seeing any sign making right now in those staging areas or in other parts of the woods? I am. I, I found some, uh, some of the first rubs of the season this year. We actually found a monster rub. We, we spent a little time brook trout fishing over there and found a crossing that was just rubbed up and it was pretty cool. So I, I started to see a little bit of buck sign. Now, hunting with your daughter, the goal was a little bit different in that you were just trying to get any legal deer on the ground from a ground blind. But if you were hunting for yourself, Tony, if you were trying to kill a buck in the morning in mid-September to late September, what would that setup look like in a state like Wisconsin? Uh, getting back in the cover off of the food and just <clears throat> playing that real, real early movement, you know, maybe couple hundred yards off of the destination food sources as long as you can sneak in and that you know that's the key to everything is if if you have the access to these spots you can absolutely make a staging area type of hunt happen in the morning in september but you really got to be able to sneak in and that was that was absolutely the secret to how my daughter killed her deer going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in wisconsin I'm going to, I'm going to bump her up to a five. I think it's going to get better there, Spence. All right, Tony, I like your optimism, um, but that's not a whole lot more optimistic. I hope you're wrong and it's, it's even better than a five. Good luck with the rest of your haunts. And thanks for joining me. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. And that concludes episode 457 of Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Alex, Gray, Keith, and Tony for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. As a reminder, our reading materials for this week can be found in the description where you have things like best food sources for Big Woods Whitetails, how to kill a buck in high wind, why September is the best month to hunt scrapes, and should you deer hunt in the raid. I will talk to you next week, and until then, stay wired to hunt. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. 
It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. 